Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everyone, this episode is brought to you by Ritani. Looking for an engagement ring? Check out Ritani Shop Online and your ring is made in New York, sent to you or your local jeweler. It's that easy. Go to Ritani, R-I-T-A-N-I dot com slash sports for their free diamond giveaway. When I, when I hit the ground running in Paris, it was just me with a camera um, and following her around and basically spending um, every moment with her. And um, as Serena always tends to do, she brings the drama and the French Open was probably the most physically and emotionally draining Grand Slam that Serena ever won. The, all of the odds were against her and she still won it somehow, which lucky for me as a filmmaker gave me a very uh, cinematic first act of the film. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. I thought we would do something a little different this week. Last night, I attended with my daughter as my date the premiere of the Serena Williams documentary, which makes its world television premiere on Epix on Wednesday, June 22nd. Highly recommend it. Uh, tennis fans will absolutely gobble it up, and casual sports fans, I suspect, will as well. Very well done documentary, a lot of access. Um, you'll, you'll learn about Serena, even if you know a great deal about her. Ryan White is the director-producer. He is the same age as Serena, almost to the day. He is 34 years old, almost 35, or 30 fun, as they say in the movie. And I figured we could take a pause from uh, traditional tennis talk and talk a bit about Ryan and why he wanted to do this documentary on Serena Williams, which, again, airs on Epics on June 22nd, and I highly recommend. We have a, uh, a a top ATP player who we put on hold to make this happen. He was uh, very generous about being bumped, but I think you'll enjoy this conversation with Ryan. Again, he is the director producer of Serena, the documentary that airs on Epics. You've probably seen ads for it. If you live in New York, it's on virtually every cab along with Bill Simmons. So uh, let's bring him in. He was kind enough to join us by phone. It's been a busy week for him. 
the, the question you're never supposed to ask is, uh, what made you want to do this? But I ask you, Ryan White, what made you want to do this? How, how did this take shape? Uh, well, I'm a huge tennis fan. I've always been a huge tennis fan, and I was a tennis player, um, and I'm the exact same age as Serena, so I kind of grew up watching her and Venus play. Uh, but uh, I don't think a great tennis player necessarily makes a great documentary. Um, and although I'm a huge fan of tennis, I'm drawn to character films always. So those are the, all, all the stories I've told in the past are character films. Um, and that's kind of where my, where my passion comes from. And you spend years working on these films. So I have to work on projects that really move me. Um, and, uh, I have a very, very small list of documentary subjects that I would want to do. Um, and Serena Williams was at the top of that list. Uh, I just never thought the opportunity would present itself. And I didn't think that Serena, um, would give access in the way for the type of film that I wanted to make. Um, but lucky for me, um, that all kind of fell into place. And, uh, you know, when it presented itself in my life through Pete Berg, who was our executive producer, who's a friend of Serena's, um, and I told him kind of the vision that I had for the film, um, and then eventually had that conversation with Serena on what type of film I wanted to make. Uh, she said yes, and, and the rest is kind of history. You were, you were very generous you, you said luck luckily for me but I, but I suspect that luck in terms of the access uh, was not really what went on I suppose you know I, I suspect it's because of the rapport you were able to build with her um, how I mean I think generally I, I don't want to give too much away I mean I don't want to sort of play spoiler alert so I'm more I'm more interested sort of in talking about process than in specific scenes that people see for themselves Wednesday when this premieres on epics. Um, but how, how did the, how did the rapport building go? And also what were sort of the ground rules to, to start with? Uh, there were no ground rules. Um, I mean, that's, I know Serena very well at this point, but I didn't know her at all before I made this. So I assumed that there would be lots of ground rules. I assumed that there would be, you know, a whole list of them, but I, uh, we got the green light to make this a few days. It was, it was in the talks for a couple months and then we got the green light a few days before the French Open started. And I think two days after I got the green light, I was on a flight to Paris, uh, met Serena in her hotel room, and and we were just on the go. Um, so there was no conversation about what I was or wasn't going to film. It just started happening. And um, I do think, you know, the, probably the most important part of my job is uh, is forging relationships. And um, you know, Serena is incredibly um, famous and successful and talented, but she's no different than the other subjects that I've worked with in the past who might not be famous, where you need to make someone feel comfortable um, that you will uh, that you will tell their story faithfully to, to, to whatever's happening in their life. And um, I think she felt I think she felt comfortable um, and we became we became friends through the process. But um, there were no ground rules. She never once asked me to turn the camera off. Um, there was nothing, you know, she played no editorial part. She didn't ask me to take anything out after she saw the film or had anything in. Um, she thought, she said, uh, we, I, I showed her the film for the first time a couple months ago in LA, a rough version of it. And it was very difficult for her to watch. She was, she was, um, physically uncomfortable watching it because the whole third act is the U S open, which right. we all know she lost. Um, and so it was very emotional for her to watch. And I don't think, I think it was painful in a lot of ways. And, um, when it was over, 
I was very uncomfortable because I was watching her the whole time, of course. Uh, and she got up and she, we watched in an empty movie theater together and she gave me a hug and she said, that was a, that was a pretty crazy journey we went on together, wasn't it? And I said, yeah. And she said, thank you for making it. You really got me. And then she left. She had to go somewhere else. And that was, that was her comment. So I think, um, she thought that it captured who she is and, and, I, and I hope, I hope it did as well. I suspect for a documentarian, you really got me. Is uh, that's about as high. That's about the highest praise you could get, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's 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 what we it's what we strive to do, you know. But uh, uh, you know, we're we're in some ways have this power, this control to portray people um, how how we see fit, how we how we perceive a story. Uh, so. You know, it's uh, it is it is it is high praise, but uh, you know, you also want to tell a good story, and luckily, Serena um, is, is right for storytelling. She seems to always bring the drama, which is uh, which is inherently cinematic. It, you, so, just to be, this was a 2015 French Open where you where you started filming. Yes. Wow. So you, I mean, I, again, I'm I'm very conscious of not wanting to give away too much, but there's some fairly, you know, there's some fairly intimate scenes. Uh, one of them involving. Uh, I believe eucalyptus oil, but you, you really got in pretty quickly. I mean, there's, there's some scenes from that 2015 French open that were really very access dependent. So it sounds like within days of meeting her, you were already, uh, you, you were already sort of, sort of already in. Right. And you know, that was one of the, Serena and I only had one phone call before we ever met. And I, I told her the type of film I wanted to make. And that was a verite, verite style documentary, which means, fly on the wall, just there with my camera, watching things unfold. I said, I don't want to make a biopic. You know, we all, we all know your past. You have the most amazing backstory, but that's not the type of film that I want to make. I want to make a film following you doing what you do. And she said, thank God, that's exactly what I want to make. So we said, no interviews, none of that. So when I, when I hit the ground running in Paris, it was just me with a camera, um, and following her around and basically spending, um, every moment with her and um as serena always tends to do she brings the drama and the french open as her agent jill smoller says in the film was probably the most uh jill says it was the most physically and emotionally draining grand slam that serena ever won um she was i think down in five of the matches a set right. she got the flu around i think the quarterfinals she got the flu um and so there was just that all of the odds were against her and she still wanted somehow, which lucky for me as a filmmaker gave me a very uh, cinematic first act of the film. It's a, but, but you didn't go into this necessarily saying this is going to be about a Grand Slam quest. And this is going to be about a, a 33 year olds athletes attempt to pull off one of the, you know, one of these ultimate feats in sports. I mean, this, this Grand Slam quest, which ends up sort of being a skeleton that that necessarily that wasn't necessarily your your objective going into this? No, I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone, you know, I don't think anyone that, that, yeah, that wasn't the goal. Um, she had won the Australian open by the time I started. Um, and then, like I said, the odds were all against her in the French. And when she won that is when I started thinking of that as a skeleton for the film. And then of course she won Wimbledon, but I was really drawn, um, to the to the to the story of the um, aging athlete at the beginning, right. um, and right. I knew I could make a film about that of someone who is so talented and still at the top of her game. But we know there's a ticking clock there, um, and I am the exact same age as Serena, so I think I relate to that in some ways. So that was kind of my original 
vision for what the film would be about. And then, you know, obviously as the year went on and the stakes got higher and higher, that became the kind of skeleton, as you put it, for the for the film. It's funny, though, because I was going to ask you the opposite question, which is you're the same age, but you are, are a young, up-and-coming filmmaker, and she's really chronologically anyway, sort of at the tail end of her career. I, I, I was mm-hmm. actually going to go totally the other direction, saying you, you guys are peers, and it struck me that you were at very different points professionally. I, she and I actually talked about that at one point, because, uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an up-and-coming filmmaker. I'm a young filmmaker, and I could, you know, I could never be um, the best at what I do at my age. You just can't be. Um, and so there is a real... I was, I was fascinated that with her. It's like, you are the best ever at something and you are so young and you have a whole life to live after this. And it'll be fascinating to see what Serena does with that life after this. Um, but it was actually a conversation that we had. It's like, I can, I can work my whole life doing something and I will never be the best ever at it. And it's too early for me to even be coming close to that. And you're already there. Right. Uh, and uh, I can't imagine the amount of pressure that comes with that. She kind of spoke to that last night during the Q and a, but everybody expects Serena to win every tennis match. And, um, you know, I remember when I was telling people that I was making a film about Serena Williams, you know, all my friends who don't follow tennis, um, they they all know her name, of course. There's a name recognition there. And they would say, oh, yeah, like, didn't didn't she just lose a tournament? And I would say, well, yes, she lost the U.S. Open, but she also won virtually everything else this year and had one of the best tennis seasons of any tennis player in some decades. Um, and it was really, uh, it was really, it was really eye-opening for me to see the, the, the pressure that our, that our culture, that our country puts on Serena and our expectations. And then it was very enlightening, I think, to be a part of that journey with her and to see how, how suffocating that can be at times for well, her. Well, keep, keep going with that. I mean, pressure is a theme of the movie and you, and you just brought it up. And I, I feel like. You know, a lot of times athletes say, well, I, I put pressure on myself. And I always feel like there's there's something circular in that, right? If, I mean, if you if you didn't put pressure on yourself, it wouldn't be pressure. I mean, it's by, by definition, there's there's self-application. Where, where does her pressure come from, though? I mean, what being so close to her, and I think we all know it, in retrospect, you go back and watch that Vinci, Vinci match, and that was, you know, clearly nerves played a starring role mm-hmm. in that. What do you think the real source of this is? Is it race? Is it a, is it? proxy is it some of the body issues i mean where's this pressure ultimately coming from well i I think a lot of it comes from her and i think she'll be the first to admit that um serena is the ultimate perfectionist she is you know like it we never had fun on the tennis court when she's practicing it's intense it's work when she's playing a match it's it's life or death um and so i think a lot of that pressure comes from herself that she doesn't She's never happy with the way she plays, even, you know, even if she crushes her opponent and hits, you know, you know, hits 60 winners, Serena still will find what she did wrong in that match. So I think a lot of it comes from herself and that, you know, I don't want to ruin the film, but that's part of the reason that I, that we edited the ending that we did. It's kind of a reminder to people that even after what some people deem as a, as a failure, and Serena would deem it a failure as well. When I when I had that conversation with her um, in her bed after she lost, which was the last thing that she wanted to do, um, she she actually said to me like, "I don't see this year as a success." And I said, "Do you want three grand plans?" And she said, "I don't care. I don't see it as a success." So that ending is kind of a reminder to to the audience, but also to her. <laughs> 
uh, was kind of my way as a filmmaker, reminding her how incredible of a year and a career she has had and that just the latest loss um, should not be at the top of everyone's minds. And I was so happy that, uh, that Sports Illustrated gave her Sports Person of the Year um, because I think it was such an important reminder to people not to just remember the latest uh, loss. I appreciate that. I, I agree uh, agree wholeheartedly. I always said if she'd, if she'd lost the Australian Open and won the next three, this would be celebrated as, as the ultimate. I mean, some of it was she was just a victim of sequencing. Uh, exactly. Put, put, put exactly. That record I love out that. There. I love that. What you, what you wrote because yeah, it's a bit, yeah, exactly a victim of sequencing. We would have been we would have been crazier. And Djokovic, you know, Djokovic had the pressure taken off of him after the French last year, and I think that weighed on her as well. She really wanted she really wanted a a, a, a counterpart in that kind of quest, and you know now he's on it this year. But uh, she was she was out there on her own. We've been talking about the pressure that besets Serena Williams. You know what else causes great pressure and many stressors? The engagement process. Part of it is proposing, expecting to spend the rest of your life with someone. And the other part of the experience is the tedious jewelry store shopping, looking for the ring. All those salespeople trying to get the right ring that you think is going to be the perfect fit for your betrothed. You know, you can't do much about the stress of wanting to spend the rest of your life with someone. On the other hand, the stress of buying a ring, that can be addressed. How? It is easy. By going to Ritani, R-I-T-A-N-I. If a proposal is in the cards for you, check out Ritani. Their rings are handcrafted here in New York. You shop online. You sit there either by yourself or with your intended Figure out what ring works for you. Shop online. They ship it to you overnight or to a jeweler close to you. And if that's not right, you return it with no hassle. This is ring shopping on your terms. No pressure. No, I can't believe that's the ring you bought. No pushy salespeople. No, you can't use the family heirloom ring. Ritani, R-I-T-A-N-I, is the way to go. You design a ring on their website. They handcraft it. You choose it. It gets delivered to your home. It's that simple. After a month, they're also giving away a diamond. Visit ritani.com slash sports. That's right. After this month, they're giving away a diamond. ritani.com slash sports. Free diamond giveaway makes all your ring shopping needs a lot less stressful than they would otherwise be. Um, I, this is more a generic question than specific to Serena, but it, it struck me that there's a real balance that you go through between the subject's right to privacy and I don't want this, you know, I don't want you memorializing this moment. And yet those make for some of the best movies and the best moments in a documentary. H- how do you balance that, um, you know, that the subject has a right to be left alone with, for your purposes, like, God, this scene would be pure gold. Did that, did that make sense? I don't know if I... Yeah, that makes sense. I, um, you know, it's a balancing act. And I think it's, um, I think it's all, it's all kind of, diplomacy um, and understanding your subject. So I think my job um, is to understand people's personalities very quickly. Um, And Serena Williams was no different. I had to understand her very quickly um, and respect boundaries at times and have a good sense of when the camera should be rolling and when the camera should be not, when I should leave the room, when I should, when I should force it. Um, and you know, and I'm, I'm, I'll never claim to always make the right decision too. I definitely made some of the wrong decisions at times. Um, but you know, I mean, the, the most glaring example of that is when she lost to Vinci. Um, and by that point I knew Serena very well. Um, 
the U.S. Open had me in the photographer's pit uh, shooting the match. So I was literally on the court with her. I was, you know, a matter of 10, 20 feet away from her when she lost that match. And I was, I was filming. I had a camera in my hands, but my hands were shaking. I was so, uh, I was so devastated for her. Um, was it, was and it I for her or for the, right for the away. I said, I said, do not get in her face. Give her her space. Like film, film from afar. But nobody get in her face. And as you'll see in the film, Serena kind of went AWOL. She left in an SUV and no one heard from her for days. And I um, sent her a text a few hours after she lost. And I just said, I'm really sorry. Um, I'm staying in New York. I'm here and ready to talk to you when you're ready to talk to me. Um, and a few days later, we connected. And it was the last thing she wanted to do. I would have hated me in that moment. I hated myself in that moment having to do this with her, but I think it's probably the most important part of the film. Um, but it's kind of just sensing her personality. And that was, that was the only time I was with Serena that she lost. I had never seen her lose because I had been with her the entire year. So, you know, the French, she had won Wimbledon, she had won Cincinnati, she had won. So I didn't know what it was like to be around Serena Williams when she lost, lost. I had been prepped by her team, by Jill Smaller, her agent or Patrick, her coach, on how um, how dark it can get, but I didn't know. So that was my first experience, and unfortunately for Serena, it happened to be you know the hardest defeat of her entire life, probably. Um, and I'm there with a the camera asking her to talk about it and reflect on it. How many hours did you shoot? Hundreds. I, I, I don't even know the exact hour, but I would guess maybe 300 hours. So So what happens? I mean, this is a... You know, this is an A-list subject, and I'm sure there's there's great curiosity and, and scenes that ended up on the cutting room floor. I mean, do you do, you do outtakes and OTT? I mean, is there is there space for some of the scenes that didn't make it into the final the final version? I don't know. We'll see what we'll see what Epics does with it. I always have a I always have a list in all the films that I make uh, called my dead baby list of, of of babies that you killed that you loved for whatever reason, but. Uh, you're, you're talking about didn't, scenes, didn't, didn't, yeah. Yeah, didn't 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 flow for whatever reason. I have many of those with Serena, um, and and I mean, there's there's tons of content that was that was uh, you know compelling or funny or or, or uh, dramatic that didn't make the final cut. So I hope there's some sort of avenue to show some of those deleted scenes at some point. You, you said you had a tennis background, and I, I would have guessed that watching uh, watching the documentary. I mean, I, th- I think you hit it. It, it it plays like you have a background, and it, it it had a certain nuance of a tennis fan. But how much did you learn about the sport? I mean, how, how much of this was, I'm, I'm shocked by this process, or I'm shocked by whatever it is, it's the size of the entourage, or the, the schedule, and how much of this was, yes, it's pretty much what I expected. Uh, no, I was, I, I yeah, like I grew up a big tennis fan, and I was a tennis player, so I was, totally nerding out the entire time on, on tour with Serena. Cause there's no, there's no more VIP way to experience the grand slam circuit than being one of Serena Williams guests. So I was, you know, the luckiest tennis fan in the entire world. And I'm, it's totally spoiled me. And I don't think I could ever go to a tennis match again as a regular spectator because I've just had such a unique um, view of it. But um, no, it, it, I was I was constantly surprised by the inner workings of how of how it all went down. Um, I was I was uh, very uh, surprised by Serena's work ethic, and 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 it is a job. It is a job, and she is very professional. Um, and the tennis court is not 
fun. It's not fun in games when you're out there. You are out there for two hours, and I never talked around the tennis court, and I would put a microphone on Patrick for coach, but I couldn't put a microphone on Serena, obviously, because she was playing. But those practices are intense, uh, and they are grueling. And Serena goes, you know, full force in them. So I was very surprised by, like, the work ethic that it involves and the dedication that she has have to do i mean i bet she was up we were out late last night at the after party and i bet she was up this morning practicing almost every day i was with her there's you know a two-hour practice every morning um and she is not a morning person (laughs) and it's a job um but that's what she has to do to stay at that top form so she she does it day in day out we've been talking about serena williams who was a peerless tennis player but has shown her mortality in some big events lately the last three majors Jordan Spieth, not dissimilar. He was at the pinnacle of golf, and then at the Masters, he showed his mortality. But now he's back in the spotlight. He's playing for his second straight U.S. Open, a shot at redemption. Golf Magazine and Golf.com, they are going to do blanket coverage all week from Oakmont. Go to their various podcasts, Golf.com, podcast on SI.com, backslash podcast, or on your podcast app of choice. Listen to their podcasts as they chronicle the U.S. Open and Jordan Spieth's attempt to get another major in his bag. How do you assess her, I don't want to say her passion for tennis, but is this a job? Is this something she's really, really good at? Is it the competition? I mean, what do you think her relationship with her profession is? That is a really good question. I think... um... I mean, obviously, there was, there is a love for the game, and she grew up playing it. There's an incredible, you know, Williams family story that I think is probably one of the best American sports stories ever. Um, so I think there is that intrinsic love of the game, but I think anybody that's close with Serena will tell you how competitive she is at everything. Um, and she'll always say um, she hates losing more than she loves winning. Um, and so... I think that's what drives, I think that's what drives her. Um, and you can imagine, I mean, she's, you know, on the precipice of solidifying her place in history as the best ever and how much, um, pressure that involves from, from her and from the outside. But I think, yeah, I think a lot of that comes from, from inside of her and that, that, that pure hatred of losing. (laughs) This, this is observation and not critique, but, um, Richard Williams does not figure prominently in this documentary. W- was that just circumstance, or was that did, did he not want to speak? How did? What was your interaction with him? Well, I, I my my style of filmmaking is called verite, so it's fly on the wall, and I'm following the action. So we never did any sit down interviews in the film. You know, I might. If Forestine, Serena's mom, was around, I might say, can I meet you at a coffee shop and ask you a few questions, you know? So everything was on the go. Um, and Richard was not Richard was not with Serena at all this season. Um, so Richard's pretty much retired and stays in Florida. So I was just never around Richard. They're still very close. I still saw Serena have a lot of phone calls with him or constantly texting him, but he was never actually on the road with us the way Orsine was. So... Um, it wasn't, it's not my style of filmmaking to go visit him in Florida and have a talking head and, and, and get the point of view. If he had been with us, I'm sure he would have factored in the film a lot more. And there is a little part to explain his absence. Um, 
but it was just the mere it was just the mere factor of him not being on the road and not traveling with Serena anymore. When you shoot in this Verite style, how how hard is it for you to sort of resist breaking from that? I mean, I, I imagine there must be moments where you say, "Boy, I, I have a question that I would love to insert right now," or "Boy, I wish you would take the conversation in this direction." Could I prod you? When you're simply fly on the wall, um, is it a challenge not to insinuate yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, I and, and I do ask questions from time to time, and you know, Serena Serena's a, a, a difficult documentary subject because she's constantly surrounded by people. Um, and that doesn't make it easy as a documentary filmmaker. It makes, it makes for great scenes, but it doesn't, it doesn't make for great, um, reflection because Serena doesn't talk about tennis a lot off the court. Right. She'll talk with the press about it after the match, but she does not enjoy digesting matches afterwards or looking forward to the next matches. So, um, as you'll see in the film, some of the moments, the, my, my favorite moments with Serena, cause I could get her alone were her treatments they're called. So that's when her body's getting worked on. Um, by her physios. And I would always say, you know, Hey, do you mind if I, if I film your treatment and maybe ask you a few questions? And, and she was, she was a, a joy to deal with in that way because she would always say, yes, Serena's not good at saying no. Um, and those were the only moments where I could get Serena really quiet without a million people around her asking her for things, you know, organizing her schedule, talking about her brands, her philanthropies, it's chaos always around Serena. So the treatments were my quiet moments, and that's when I kind of took the opportunity to have those conversations with her, which you kind of see throughout the film. And, I, and obviously, her body is a theme of the film, and just right. getting to film that imagery of her body getting worked on uh, was, 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 was beautiful, um, literally beautiful on camera, but that was also the moments where we could be a little bit more contemplative. You know what struck me about those scenes? As long as, long as you brought it up, and I'm not going to piss off the director by uh, giving away too much— her her body unquestionably a theme of this, and yet in those sessions it, she was sort of weirdly detached. I mean, she she would be on her phone while there were these intricate massages, for example. It, it struck mm-hmm. me that there was this real sort of dissociation between uh, yeah, I mean, between her body and her I sort mean, of physical being. You have to you have to realize those treatments last for hours, um, and so and she does them every day. So, uh, you know, at, at, even at some point on my, on my year on the road with her, I'm like, Man, how does she do this every day? It would be so boring. So she finds ways to enter, entertain herself. You know, again, it's a job. She, that's work when she's on the table and it hurts. It's painful what, what's happening to her. So she finds ways to distract herself, entertain herself. Um, and then I was always there to, you know, to interrupt her and, and, and take that fun away and, and make her reflect on on the upcoming matches or what happened in the past. But, you know, that's just part of her job is to sit on that table for hours every day and, you know, go through that, that grueling process. But there is a detachment. I was surprised. You know, she'll she'll be texting her friends and, and, and you know, screaming in agony at the same time. And it's like she's not even – she's not totally there during the treatment. It's just part of the work. Serena overcomes her nerves – and beats Roberta Vinci. She overcomes her nerves and then beats whoever, you know, Flavia Panetta would be the opponent. She wins the Grand Slam. How, how different a movie is this? Oh, man. Um, listen, I would, have, I would have loved that for her. I was, I was devastated for her when she lost that U.S. Open. Um, I would consider Serena a good friend at this point, and 
Um, I've always been a huge Serena Williams fan, and I would have wanted that more than anything for her. Selfishly, I think we have a better film because of it. Um, I didn't think that at the time. Um, when it happened, I wanted her to win that so bad, and I wanted that for the, for the end of the film as well. But I think there's a lot to be learned from the ending of the film, um, and I think she agrees with that now. But I think at the moment, we both were devastated um, for what, what was happening with her with her tennis career and what I thought was happening with my film. But I think we have a much more nuanced film because of it. But uh, if I could go back in time and she could have overcome her nerves with Vinci, I would choose for her to win the calendar slam, you know, every time. But, but personally and not necessarily for as a filmmaker. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I have no regrets for the film. The film, I mm-hmm. think, is more cinematic because of it, but I, I, I wanted that for her, and I still wish that she had, uh, that it had worked out for her. So, so, so one of the, the great, uh, well, you know, one drawback of being an athlete is you do something well, and it's sort of, what have you done for me lately? You've, you've won three majors, and now uh, when's the fourth coming? And I, I think there's, there's probably a parallel to that in creative professions. So I ask you, you've, you've, you've done a fine documentary. What's, what's next for you? Well, I mean, as a as a documentary filmmaker, we're constantly uh, juggling a lot of projects at once. So I actually wasn't working completely full time on Serena. I had an I've had another film that I've been making for a few years, which will come out next year. It's going to be a um, six part documentary series about um, the murder of a young nun in Baltimore. So completely polar opposite. From it's a very dark film. It's very investigative. Um, completely polar opposite from you know, following Serena Williams on the Grand Slam tour. But that's what I love about my job is as, as I get to um, live other people's lives alongside of them. So whether that's Serena Williams or, you know, a, a, a nun who was murdered, it's uh, getting to hopefully take audiences on some sort of transformative experience and getting them to feel like they um, get to know these people. And so um, Serena's no different than that, I think. I hope that people get to see this film and, really get a peek into what what uh what kind of person she is what makes her tip great movie again i i think um when, i i thank you on behalf of sort of the tennis republic i think it's a real contribution <laughs> and i think even you know even I, her best really fans will watch that, this i appreciate that because i am i'm i consider myself a part of the republic so i enjoyed it great film again it uh premieres on epics on wednesday ryan thanks that was great thank you john take care All right, everyone, that was Ryan White, the director-producer of Serena, which again is premiering on Wednesday, next Wednesday, June 22nd at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Epics, E-P-I-X. Great documentary. Encourage you to watch it. Thanks to Ryan. That was a good conversation. That will do it for this week's podcast. The usual thanks a million to our peerless producer, Jamie Lasanti. I would say she is the Serena Williams of tennis podcast producing. Follow me on Twitter, John underscore Wertheim. Subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. Hear the whole SI network at si.com backslash podcast. We will have another guest next week in anticipation of Wimbledon 2016. As always, your feedback is welcome. You can certainly send uh, suggestions, criticism. Compliments are okay, too. Most important, perhaps... I really enjoy your suggestions for future guests. We try to uh, make as many of those happen as we can. 
That'll do it for this week. Thanks for listening. Again, that was Ryan White. Jamie Lasanti is our producer. I'm John Wertheim. Talk to you in seven days. We'll be right back.